listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Nocturnal, calm, persistent. Chaz Underreiner is a composer and intermedia artist based in Dallas, Texas. Chaz's work explores the notion of landscape and portraiture through the juxtaposition of video projections, audio recordings, and live performers. Chaz has collaborated with numerous choreographers, experimental filmmakers, animators, and writers. As a composer, Chaz has created works for solo instruments, chamber ensembles, chamber and symphony orchestras, jazz combos, choir, video, and electronics. What's up, Chaz? Hey, man, good to talk to you. Yeah, man. Last time was at ICMC when you were running the what was that place called that bar rubber that gloves those... it's closed now oh no yeah that was a cool it's place. kind of a big it's kind of a big deal actually yeah yeah you were you were running the show there yeah i really like being on the clock while i can also drink beer it's pretty sweet doesn't happen yeah, very much so <laughs> that's the best if you've got a job like that Hang on to it. Hang on to it. Uh, unless you become an alcoholic, and then, yeah, it's kind of a problem. So there's that. But, you know. <laughs> so uh, we're going to talk about three of your pieces today, and they're all within this series you have called the Landscape Series. But first, I just want to say that I just love your your scores, your handwritten scores. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I mean, like no one, no one really does that anymore, and they they give your pieces such a visual character that's so nice. I mean, I'm convinced everybody's smarter than me and how they do their scores because I know mine take at least a hundred hours a piece. So I'm sure other people's take less than that. Uh. Well, <laughs> they look. I mean, they look really, really clean. So it's like I can Thank imagine you. you're you've got the rulers and and everything. But well, I, I print I print the system. Yeah, there are definitely rulers involved, but I usually print systems and then go on top and scan it and then take things into Photoshop and manipulate them and all that. So, okay. Well, are you? I mean, those are so you get them into Photoshop. So you have they become digital at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I actually I, was just... I, I plan the whole layout before I start copying. So uh-huh. that way, actually, the last piece that I did, uh, which is called Floating Gardens for Chamber Orchestra, I did the systems myself in Photoshop. So that's the first uh-huh. time I've ever made my own systems. And then I printed them out, wrote on them, scanned them, and then compiled everything in Photoshop. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that seems like it would take quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it tends to, but I was surprised uh, with that piece. Making the parts was actually more simple than I thought um, because it's uh-huh. a cutout score. And so making parts with a cutout score is going to be a pain in the ass regardless of how you make it. And with making it in Photoshop, it was surprisingly easy to cut and paste things. So, Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would make sense. That's cool. I was... I, it. I love. I'm glad that you said it eventually becomes digital because I was like, "Are these scores just kind of laying around? Like, <laughs> what if a freak accident? No, and, like, and I work in pencil, fire, too, water, so. something. Yeah, yeah. And, and I work in pencil. I don't. I don't even screw with the really old school way of working in pen, which is just yeah. so hardcore. Uh, I can't yeah. really imagine it. So, <laughs> so in this in this landscape series, we're gonna li- like I said, we're listening to three. Well two complete 
pieces and then one movement of a of a longer landscape piece. So we're going to listen to Texas Plains, the first movement, and then the clarinet trio, and then the trombone quartet. So on your website, it said you like to work in series. So you have mm-hmm. the landscape series and the nocturne series. So, yep. I mean, what is it about kind of working in a series that's attractive to you? Uh, well, for one thing, I can I can definitely give credit to uh, Vondelweiser group composers and visual artists for kind of cluing me into that way of working. Um, I really, uh, the appeal to me in working in series is that frequently um, I really want to continue to investigate an idea for more than I can in one work. So, mm-hmm. for example, in the Nocturne series, that's really an examination of um, one particular time and place where I did a field recording in uh, in Wimberley, Texas, on a dry riverbed at midnight in a sum in the summer of probably 2012 or something. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just working on the eighth piece in that series now, and they're all about using that field recording, using the environmental sound of the performance space, and using microtonal instrumental writing to try to sort of reconstruct that space, original time space. Um, so for me, it wasn't enough just to make one work. I'm not really satisfied that I explored the idea fully. So instead I'll make Uh eight, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you, I mean, we first, we first met at the Charlotte new music festival in 2014 and your Mm -hmm. piece for that festival was part of the Nocturne series, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, that was the seventh one for two percussionists and field recording. And in that one, you were using singing bowls that had water in them? Yeah, so two Tibetan singing bowls, and one had water added into it to achieve different tunings. Uh And then at the same time, uh, the field recording that was played back was of the waterfall in in Wimberley by that river. Um, And it was varying distances from the waterfall. So you get this changing Uh in the percussion tuning, And you also get this change in the color and the sort of amount of insect sound that you hear in the field recording. So it's this very gradual transformation. So with this piece, uh, the, well, the landscape series, you're, you're kind of talking about kind of driving in Texas, right? That's a lot of it. Yeah. And it's not just a Texas specific series. uh, Whereas the Nocturne series really is, it's like one time and place. Um, and the landscape series is more uh, abstract, actually, and it has to do with my doctoral dissertation, uh, which I won't get into in great detail. But basically, um, I explored the uh, the way that art um, addresses r- the representation of reality. Mm-hmm. And so in the landscape series, I really explored ways of constructing reality through um, the combination of video uh, high definition field recordings and instrumental writing. Um, so in that case, uh, that work is really not just about Texas or about any one landscape, but it's the whole idea of making a landscape using multimedia. So there's one piece in it is in uh, a landscape of Austria. Uh, one piece in it, uh, multiple pieces are based on driving in Texas. True. Um, the trombone uh, quartet isn't really based on any particular place and uh-huh. then uh and then yeah that, i guess that that covers all the locations so far i'd love to make more 
uh, like go to Tokyo and make a landscape piece, for example. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And, yeah, That's, I, <laughs> I agree. I've, I've kind of, I mean, just just go to Tokyo. Period. That'd be that'd be great. Um, that's uh, that's really interesting. Like, I was I've been kind of doing this these small tape pieces, um, mm. and I I have no, they're they're not even really for public consumption. They're actually just kind of for me, um, mm. where you know we like uh, when we lived back in the states before we came to like right before we moved to China, um, we did this driving trip up to Idaho. And I was taking all these sounds up there. And then in China, I, we went to this place called the Anju Mountains, and I took all these sounds. And then we went to Thailand. And I mean, I'm constantly, wherever we go, I'm always taking the recorder to see if, if anything is there. And yeah. uh, they're kind of just like almost a sound, you know, photo, like a uh, photo album, I guess. Uh, so is that kind of how this, this series functions for you? Is it kind of is part of it you're kind of remembering the place it's it is remembering the place um yeah it has to do it's i think it's a bit more autobiographical and more subjective than just like photography on a trip um mm -hmm. so the landscape grots uh video pieces uh which i don't know if you've looked at i made those in a two-week span while i was in grots so that was all mm -hmm. done while i was there so that's really kind of a tourist piece um yeah. Whereas some of the pieces like Landscape Texas Plains is sort of my memory of driving these highways over and over and over. And it's sort of my reimagination <laughs> yeah. of these just brutally, uh, sometimes brutally boring, but also very interesting uh, driving hypnotic experiences. So it's at varying levels of subjectivity, right? What's the weirdest thing you ever saw while driving? I mean, in, in those like particular ever? routes. So, well, no, not ever, but I mean, in LA, no, so like you have on like fire on the side of the road. That's pretty messed up. <laughs> like more than one. In the Texas, in the Texas plains, you have Athens to Dallas, which is the one we're going to listen to Dallas uh -huh. to Austin, Houston to Dallas, Dallas to Fort Worth, Dallas to Athens and Dallas to Houston. Clearly right. you were centered in Dallas. So, right. but, um, like on, on, any of those trips what's the what's the weirdest thing i mean i can't really think of a particular weird thing i know that i could just tell you that i've spent you know let's say from houston to dallas that's a drive that takes about four hours under good yeah. conditions and mm -hmm. uh and i've had that drive on a holiday weekend it's taken me 10 uh, actually uh. i drove from us uh, from dallas to austin one time with some friends from los angeles after a crazy three-day ice storm and that was harrowing. Um, harrowing. <laughs> that's the best way I can put it. It took, uh, I think it took eight, uh, nine hours. And really, we almost got into so many terrible wrecks. Uh, I, it was just such a bad idea to do that drive. But they, I booked them a performance was, in Austin. So that's why we were going down there. Do you remember about when that was? Mm, I think that was three or four years ago now. I could look it up. Oh, okay. I was just wondering because there, you know, Texas gets like bad. I, I mean, especially you, you were just going down to Austin, so that's more probable, but like Houston, you know, never gets anything. And when you, when it does, the entire city shuts down and 
one time we had something like that and that day like they closed the highways and the bridges and yeah. that day we were driving <laughs> we were driving up to memphis on that day so it took us oh, like gosh. memphis is like a 12 hour drive and it took us like 16 or something yeah i mean houston you get a hurricane or something or flooding and they yeah they shut the whole city down basically yeah, yeah it's we get interesting weather down here that's for sure and I'm about That's to true. move to Florida, which obviously also has interesting weather. So <laughs> yeah, we're I like we're it. gonna get to, we're gonna get to that a little later. But f- I mean, first of all, congratulations on oh, the, thank on the you. job for the reason Thanks, why you're and- moving is you just got a gig at Stetson. That's right. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Uh, assistant professor of digital arts, and it's my first tenure track job. Um, it's not in a music school which I'm uh-huh. actually really excited about because that means I won't have to teach theory or oral skills. <laughs> uh, I'm only the bane teaching of audio. every co- composer's existence. <laughs> uh, well, I, I'm not a huge um, traditional music theory guy. I'm, I'm yeah. very much into art theory, but not so much tonal theory or anything like that. So. Sure. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it. Thanks, and congratulations awesome. to you too. Thanks, man. Yeah, actually, I don't, I think I haven't mentioned it on every any previous podcast so far. So yeah, um, I You're will. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I just outed you. But no, like finally, uh, I won't be doing these uh, on like completely opposite sides of the earth anymore because I'm moving back to the states, uh, moving back to Ohio because I got a gig too, Ohio University. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, anyway. are you going to have to teach theory or oral skills? Because you have a theory composition position, right? Yes, I'm gonna. I will teach theory, but in that, I will like. I'll pretty much always teach a core theory class, I think, and mm-hmm. then, um, then rotate through the other composition classes. So probably always in a, uh, not always, but usually an electro class. Then you know, orchestration and. Maybe new music ensemble, maybe something, maybe something else that I designed. Like you know, I recently taught a class on the New York School of Visual Art, visual artists and and composers, mm. which was really cool. So I'd love to do cool. something like that again. This time with like collaboration with the art department because I mean I know a little bit. Like I could I can probably hold my own when it comes to the fifties uh, artists, but it's probably someone at Ohio that knows a bit more than me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's good to know your, your limits, but yeah, congratulations yeah. again, man. That's yeah. really, we're, we're both so, uh, making big moves. So big, yeah, big moves, especially a um, <laughs> <laughs> little bit, a little bit when you need to send most of your stuff on a slow boat for six months. Yeah. I've been there. I know what that's like. It's very interesting. Yeah, Because you, you've, I mean, you've lived in different parts of the world before. Right, yeah. My family lived in Indonesia and Sumatra until I was five, and then we lived in the Middle East in Qatar when I was in high school. So similar slow boat situation in both of those cases. Yeah, Yeah, man. I was going to – I was just going to say the – I was, you know, thinking about all this driving and and these routes that you were describing in this piece. You know, I've done quite a few of these – quite a few of these drives myself albeit from houston to these places but um i was trying to remember the weirdest thing we ever saw was we did see the oscar meyer wiener mobile 
like on one of these drives. <laughs> it was crazy. Oh, I've definitely. I, now that you mentioned that, I think I have too. I really think. Okay. I have. Yeah. Like, because I've been driving them my whole life, basically. You know, going on yeah. these roads. So yeah. That's I guess great. it's. I guess it's a common occurrence, but for us, it was like holy shit. I wouldn't say a common occurrence by any means. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> Getting into the music of this is. Can you kind of describe your your like your general ideas for for using microtones because it seems like each composer has has a different take on how to use them and mm. you know that kind of thing. So can you talk about that? Yeah, uh well one thing right off the bat is I am not really interested in developing a tuning system. A lot yeah. of composers who do microtonal music throughout history, including Ben Johnston, Harry Parch, on and on, super respected people in our field, are really great at devising these systems. Uh, and I'm not so much interested in that um, because I'm really coming at it from a performance practice standpoint. Um, mm -hmm. So for me, writing the microtones in the clarinet piece, there's 11 pitches per minor second. And... I really wanted to hear the beating patterns and I wanted to collaborate with clarinetists to devise fingerings to make them happen. So rather than like developing a tuning system and then writing freely within that tuning system, I'm kind of really developing note by note, sound by sound. Um, and as I work sound by sound, then I uh, develop the performance practice to go with it. So it's very much tailor-made for people to be able to do it. Um, rather mm -hmm. than, uh, so Ben Johnston, for example, he has to have musicians that are completely dedicated to playing his music, um, yeah, to play his string quartets. You have to practice his tuning system for years. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I intend my music to be a bit more approachable than that. If, if you can do the ear training to hear the beating patterns, then, uh, yeah, you can that was, your playing. that was something that I was really interested in is, um, when I was reading, that I was looking at your score for the trombone uh, quartet, and you said that um, you kind of the musicians kind of need to do some microtonal ear training, and if they if they need some advice to do that, they should email you. So, yeah, what kinds of exercises or or techniques are you doing with the musicians to to give them this kind of microtonal ear training? Well, it's really funny that I put that in the trombone score because trombonists get it immediately. <laughs> yeah, I bet. In, you in know. rehearsal, I just tell them, oh, it's minus 14 cents, so play a unison, and they go a little lower, a little lower. Yep, that's it. And they're like, oh, okay, great. And they played the same exactly every time. <laughs> right. So they're so good at it. But um, for me, it was really about hearing it. So I'll get my uh, – if I'm with them in person to do a coaching or a rehearsal, I'll bring my instrument. I'll bring a guitar. And I'll just play the beating patterns for them. I'll play the difference. Mm -hmm. So here's a unison with minus 14. Here's a unison with minus 31. Here's the flavor of the beating pattern. Now let's try to play it together. You know, so it's really. Uh, other than that, what you can do is just use sign tones and tune them very specifically uh, in Max, right. which I've definitely done for for writing pieces myself until I learned how to hear the hear the tunings. So is, I mean, part of, for let's say the clarinet piece, I mean, could you, because the beating patterns you're looking for are, con you know, really specific in a way. Yeah, um, very specific. So one, one method of trying to get that is just to try to hear the beating tempo, right? Exactly. 
uh, right. Yeah. So two beats per minute is or two cents different is about uh, two beats every second. It actually seems slower than that. Um, so uh-huh. playing playing a unison exactly in unison, first of all, is something that people don't really do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. there's never time. <laughs> so first, it's like okay, let's play in unison, and everybody can do it, but nobody really has to ever. So play perfectly in unison, okay? And then now somebody go just the slightest, just think about going sharp, and then you start to hear the very slow beating, and then you just basically tune it to the correct tempo. Yeah, uh, I actually one of the clarinetists I worked with. Uh, Connor Omeara is a conductor, so he really wanted to have tempo markings. He said, "Oh, so mm, it's like for the beating, it's like third, okay. it's like thirty-eight beats per minute for the beating." It's like, yeah, it's like okay, perfect, and then he could do it. <laughs> wow, so that's, that's <laughs> a that's a way a different way into it. You said, uh, "Just think about going lower." It's like you've seen the movie uh, "Forgetting Sarah Marshall." I have not. Oh boy. There's a there's a really good scene with Jason Siegel and Paul Rudd where uh, Paul Rudd's trying to teach Jason Siegel how to surf. And he's like, "Okay, pop up." "Nope, you're doing too much. Pop down." "Pop up." "That that's not it at all. Pop down." "You're doing <laughs> you you're doing too much. Do less. Do less. Do less." And he's like, "Pop up." Jason Siegel just lays on the board. "Well, no, you can't do that. That's nothing. That's boogie boarding." So <laughs> Just, just think about popping that. up. Like, just, just, just think about think it. Think about going lower. Nope, you're doing too much. Do less. Do less. <laughs> <laughs> the clarinet piece, the um, the beating in it, it really kind of reminded me. I mean, you know, I'm still, I'm still thinking about like the, you know, the driving on driving on Texas roads and how there's just nothing out there, and you know, when you do see a car come by, it's uh. It's almost like an event, <laughs> really. Yeah. Um, but the beating, in a way, kind of reminded me of the, this phenomenon that when you're kind of looking out the window at a car that's either you know driving beside you or passing you or whatever, you look at their tires and their tires start to visually seem like they're moving backwards, the, the mm-hmm. wagon wheel effect. Yeah, wagon wheel effect, absolutely. Is that something that you were kind of thinking thinking about or or was Uh, that just me not that effect in particular i mean uh, i wasn't thinking about i actually use that as an example whenever i talk about uh aliasing with uh, the nyquist Uh theorem whenever i teach audio so i really have that in my brain but uh not that thing in particular but you know really like uh, the sensation of highway hypnosis where Mm. you're driving and you sort of uh have this you're experiencing your thoughts and your memories stronger than you are the actual sensation of like concentrating on the road. Um, yeah, that's that's you, what I got with listening. Yeah, you kind to of have piece. this. You have this kind of flood of sensory information other than driving, which is in a way really terrifying because you could crash. <laughs> but uh, but to me, it's like that experience of reality where you're getting this multifaceted uh, aspect of memory and visual sensations and smell and touch and all of that at the same time that's kind of the the important sensation of driving that i put into put into the piece yeah so Mm -hmm. it's like the wagon wheel effect it's like watching things slowly pass you by uh absolutely yeah it was really nice with this piece to be able to just like really listen uh intently like go through focus listening and uh i was like there were 
parts where i mean obviously the be the beating is really cool and the different like the different sensations of time uh that you give the listener but also there were some really crazy uh upper partials that were coming through with certain types of microtonal combinations that were really nice so in on the surface Thanks. I, on the surface, I think this piece, you know, like for the average listener, it was like, okay, he's just going in and out of tune. Like, okay, get on <laughs> with it, you know. But <laughs> the first, I'm just, I'm just giving you with. what my students would give you. Um, the group, for me, the group was, that I rehearsed this with. Uh, sorry, I have to tell you this story because it's hilarious yeah. uh, to me. Anyway, the first group I played this with is uh, Travis Weller and Brent Ferris, two musicians in Austin. Uh, they work with Austin New Music Co-op. And the three of us each wrote a piece for the three of us to play. And this was my piece mm -hmm. for the three of us to play. And we rehearsed at Brent's uncle's house in Austin. So his uncle and his, uh, I think it was his dad, are just like hanging out, drinking beer in the next room. And then we're, uh, we're rehearsing in the living room. And after we rehearsed there for a couple days, maybe three days, and after the Hang third on, this, day... Are, are, you are you talking about the... Um... Landscape Texas Plains. So rehearsing this for about three days. And after the third day of rehearsing all three of our pieces, you know, Travis and I leave and his uncle comes up to Brent and says, Hey, so are y'all ever going to get in tune and play something or what? <laughs> Which I thought was, I thought it was good. Uh, it's true. We actually, we have, we actually never do play. Well, actually, that, that's not true in my piece. There are a few times whenever there's perfect unisons. So I take it yeah. back. <laughs> uncles they're good for getting drunk and crushing your dreams <laughs> preferably in that order yeah yeah right <laughs> let's listen to texas plains right now and we're gonna listen to the first movement which is athens to dallas who who is playing this who, who are we gonna hear on the recording uh on the recording we have uh marijan meyer playing double bass, Mia Detweiler playing violin, and myself playing electric guitar.
So you're saying what the average listener would get out of that piece? Is oh like, yeah. Oh, it's not a tune. What the a- yeah. Okay. Great. It's not in tune. That's weird. But for me, it was just so it was so nice to have something that you could really focus in on. You know, it's it's almost like putting a microscope on the sound and just just being able to live with it for a long time. And mm-hmm. that, I mean, even more so than pieces that are you know, really, really highly structured. And I'm not saying your piece isn't highly structured, but like that try to do so much, you know, even more so than those pieces. I think some of my best like musical experiences have been with pieces like this, you know, Mm -hmm. where you are allowed to just live inside the sound and kind of move around it and examine it. And it doesn't, it's not going away too fast. I mean, in a way, it reminds me of Pauline Oliveros. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's absolutely my goal. So I'm glad you experienced it that way. I really feel that I have that in common. Um, a lot of works in the modernist stream that have 
just simply a lot of notes in a small amount of time, for example. Yep. I can't really at any point enter into really digging into a sound and feel like I get to fully experience one sound because it's this sort of uh, unstoppable flood of sonic information. Um, right. And it's, it, well, it, it sound, sound becomes, uh, kind of, well, it takes a, a secondary role to like, to the gesture or to the, the form or to the, you know, to the flow of, of something like it's, it's not as important as, as in, as it is in a piece like yours. Right. And for me, uh, like I talked about earlier i'm really composing sound by sound moment by moment so for me the sound is extremely important and actually most right. of the time i make demo recordings of pieces before i notate them uh, so i'll like fully mm -hmm. record everything before i even like commit to notating something <laughs> because i'm so uh i'm so focused on trying to create this like sensory experience uh, rather than um to fix some kind of artistic idea that happens to be in in sound yeah and oh the one the one other thing i was going to say about the clarinet trio and i think you kind of mentioned this earlier but um this piece more so than the other pieces seemed kind of like this started as a sign tone experiment or an electronic music experiment, you know, is that, is that kind of how this all started or? And that's true. Yeah, on? that is true. Actually for the clarinet piece, I initially composed the first ideas of it with just three sign tones in max, uh -huh. uh, tuning it different ways. You know, I say I use max. I really only use max for things like this <laughs> for hearing <laughs> sign tones. I'm really not very impressive in that regard. Um, so many people are so much better at it than me. Um, I'm sure you are. Uh, so I started in Max, and then I did a, a sh short recording session with the clarinetist playing some long tones. And then in uh, Pro Tools, I started to mock up the tunings. And mm -hmm. I also had the clarinetist play against a tuning of himself to make sure that it was possible. And once I knew that the tunings I wanted were possible, uh, I just kind of went with it. Yeah. Max is a type of thing where... Even and no matter how long you spend with it, you still feel like an idiot. Like <laughs> it's like golf. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure. Like, you know, Miller Puckett or someone doesn't feel like an idiot with it, but still. <laughs> I mean, how? I, I don't think he Max should for... ever feel like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> if anybody, it's him. Yeah, he's. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's the guy. <laughs> So uh, we are we're going to listen to it now the clarinet trio who who's playing this Okay so the three clarinetists on this piece are Ryan Espinosa, Nathan Beatty and Connor Omiara Thank you. 
the trombone quartet we've already kind of talked a, a little bit about it and and uh the thing i'm i'm not even even going to ask if this composer is an influence to you or not i'm just going to assume yes so can you just talk about what morton feldman has meant to you as a composer oh who's that sorry yeah uh <laughs> morton feldman yeah um you know i i listened to his uh his piano and string quartet whenever I'm getting ready for yeah. bed sometimes that's like my, mm-hmm. my I'm drinking bourbon late at night and like winding down music. Um, actually, man, that sounds amazing right now. I'd love to do that. Um, he, okay. So Morton Feldman, the first piece I ever heard of his was uh, King of Denmark. And yep. when I was an undergraduate and I really hated it, I just hated it. <laughs> I thought it was the <laughs> stupidest thing ever. Um, you know what? I think that might be the first piece I heard of his too, because I was a percussionist at that point, and we had a grad student who was playing it. So yeah, I think that was my first Feldman piece too. Yeah, and you know, I think it was structured so that we listened to Stockhausen's Zeklus like the the week before, mm-hmm. and then we listened to King of Denmark, mm-hmm. and I was just like, oh god, oh god. <laughs> so actually, what I did, I, I don't know if I had a conversation with Joe Klein about this or what, but I. I've, since I hated it so much, I decided I'm going to try to figure out why I hate this so much. Like, yeah, this is just the worst. Why? And so I l- started listening to other pieces of his, <laughs> studying his scores. And of course, I fell in love with his work. And now he's a super important composer to me. So I told my students that they should be afraid whenever they really hate something, because that means that they might actually end up really loving it and sort of like basing their artistic identity on it in some way. <laughs> Yeah, that's that that happens a lot. I mean, as a master student, I hated Pierre Boulez, and then in doctoral work, I kind of fell in love with him, and he's he's been uh, he's been something to me. So, yeah, you'll have to live with the ghost of your hatred in some way. Um, yeah, good. so his work for me, uh, the long forms, these sort of lopsided, continuing variation, repetition thing that he does, and really just his focus on on sonority on just a sound yeah. rather than a motive or a gesture he's not a very he's he's a more gestural composer than i consider myself to be but his sort of like more uh experimental approach with instruments was really interesting to me um right yeah string quartet two have you made it through no no not the whole thing at once no I would I would love oh, to go see it though. I would love to see it. I would love to see any of his long duration works. Uh, I think I've only seen yeah. a couple of the late ones. So come to think of it, I don't I think I've only seen one of his uh one of his duration pieces in the King of Denmark and I don't know if I've ever seen another work of his performed live. Oh, I saw Rothko Chapel. So yeah, I saw Rothko um, Chapel as well. I love that piece. Yeah, great piece. One yeah. of my favorite pieces. One of the few yeah. contemporary pieces written after 1950 that I've gone out and bought the score for and own a physical really? copy yeah. of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the I mean, all of your all of your landscape pieces they all fit into this you know over an hour uh, multimedia experience. So can you can you kind of tell us a little bit about how that works? So all the pieces we've heard fit within this this uh, like concert length work, and then there's also video 
and 8.1 surround sound. Mm-hmm. So how does this all work together to, to form an evening? Right. So the, uh, the combination is called Landscape Series 1. So it's the whole series together. And uh, it was my the creative part of my doctoral dissertation. And the way that it works is that each piece in the series is a separate standalone work. So the works in that are Backroads, which is for uh, single-channel video and 8.1 audio. Uh, Landscape Grotz, which is 23 videos between two and a half and three and a half minutes long um, for various uh, combinations of field recordings, koto, and video. And there's also an installation version of that. And then the three works that we're listening to here. So the trombone quartet, the clarinet trio and landscape Texas Plains. So because I were, was coming at each piece in the series with this idea about mimesis or the representation of reality, that's the common thread between each of them. So, but because I came with a similar approach, they actually all work as modular pieces. So I can freely put them together in whatever order and whatever timings and it'll still be a unified work because I created them all with this unity of purpose, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I could get into the nuts and bolts of how all the mimetic stuff works. It gets a little bit complicated. Um, <laughs> but uh, and I wrote a dissertation on it. So, you know, I'm not joking. Yeah. If you want to <laughs> if you want to if you want to know, go read his dissertation. Yeah. I'm and sure actually, uh, I just had an article published in Organized Sound that's about uh, mimesis and the audio reality effect that probably would be the best place to go to read about it. Congratulations. Um, That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I really uh, feel very humbled and excited to have that, particularly because I had, um, you know, Barry Truax helping me edit my paper, you know, that was kind of staggering. Yeah, that's cool. (laughs) He was such a generous, uh, generous guy with his time and really helpful. And he's like, Hey, do you want access to the soundscape archives? And it's like, Yeah. So I, I don't know. That was just a great experience all around. Um, I'm really excited to see what comes out of that since it's my first article published in a journal to see, does that start, you know, does that continue the scholarly conversation in a way that's helpful for people? Um, so right. yeah, you can go read about uh, mimesis there. But um, so since I came at each of these works with this similar creative purpose that wasn't just a musical um, mechanic, but was rather uh a sort of artistic technique, um, they can all be combined together and there's this unity with them. Um, so the way that it works is Landscape Series 1 is one version of me combining these five works. Um, so mm, okay. back, yeah. Backroads is in eight channels. Landscape Grotz I can also diffuse in eight channels, so it's made in stereo. And then the three um, ensembles are placed throughout the space and the performers play different excerpts of the pieces at different times. So everybody uses a stopwatch. I say, okay, at 15 minutes, uh, the string players in the middle are going to play the third movement um, until uh, four minutes and 57 seconds, and then you stop. So that's that's kind mm-hmm. of how I put everything together. And there's a score that has all of the elements on the page and all the timings and everything. Um, I'm actually really excited to have another performance of it at uh, Gaudiamus Music Week in uh, September. It's being that uh, Landscape Series 1 is being considered for the Gaudiamus Award, which I'm really excited mm-hmm. about. And uh, I thought I was never going to get to hear it again, <laughs> actually, yeah. after I put it together myself. Yeah, when you do one of these big works, it's just like, you know, it's it's so funny, like, 
that we're talking about this and and that I well let me ask one more question before I get into get into my thing is that did you have kind of a a model for for writing a work like this before mm. or I mean the the one that comes to mind for me is just Cage you know with like because he's he's coming at all of all of his works from a aleatoric uh or a chance chance procedure um compositional method that you know you can you can play his uh oh i'm blanking on the name um well you can play his aria with the tape work and and with with these other you know you can play his song books with any one of his mm-hmm. with the uh concert for prepared piano or the concert for piano um and orchestra so that's what comes to mind for me mm-hmm. as a model for doing this but those are I'm wondering for you. Yeah, I think structurally, absolutely, Cage is a is a big influence on that piece, especially Roratorio. You know, the whole idea of Ro- a mu- music circus. Yeah, that's, that's probably the one. You were looking for it. I, I helped you get there. That was uh, what I was looking for. <laughs> yeah, where there's multiple side projections and organs and field recordings and live performers. Um, absolutely. I mean, just multimedia artists in general. Um, I also really love experimental film, so... Uh, a big influence on my work in general is uh, filmmakers like Paul Sheritz and Stan Brackage, um, Maya Darren. I mean, just these these filmmakers that are super important, but a lot of composers don't really check out that literature because we're just so busy trying yeah. to get to know our own literature. Um, so once I really got into experimental film, it's like, oh, pff, this needs to go with music. Like this, this is all one thing. I want I want to be able yeah. to do all of these things. Um, and with, with cage as my, uh, as my, uh, sort of mentor that I never got to meet who I love so much, uh, it, it makes perfect mm-hmm. sense to me that you would, uh, you would see his work or his thinking in that work, even though I didn't really think about him at all when making the work. Right. Sure. 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 Is the, uh, is the entire landscape series one, like, I know it's, the individual parts are all up on your website, but is the entire thing up somewhere? The score is up, uh, but and the there's a there's a demo video of uh, three like a simulation of three screen video with the audio uh-huh. of all of the ensembles playing on top. But uh, I don't have documentation of the whole thing up. I don't think it would actually be that useful. If anything, I think it would give people a worse impression of the piece than if they, than any other context. Just go to it. Yeah, just go to yeah. it. Maybe look at the score um, if you have some training so you can see some of the things that are happening and just get a taste of it. If you have the score in front of you, then you kind of have a blueprint as to how I could recreate it using the components that you have up on your website, right? Right, right. And uh, and I actually, yeah. I'm open to people making their own realizations of the series, like their own order. So I was thinking of making uh, or paying somebody to make an interactive website where you can queue the different pieces on top of each other. Um, and then I realized the, the immense project that was and the immense cost that it would be or emotional intellectual cost to try to build it myself. And I just decided to move on. I think this, Next performance of it that I'm getting, uh, I'd like to just document the hell out of it. Just take multiple cameras, multiple recorders, and just really 
shoot everything um, so that I can do an edit myself so that I can put video excerpts of it up if I want. But I mean, to put up a 74, 75 minute, uh, I mean, it's basically like an opera video. Yeah. And as somebody who likes opera, I don't really like watching opera videos either. So <laughs> that's true. Yeah. <laughs> They're great for reference. This is, this is the, fr- this is the frustrating thing with doing with, with, making art that is supposed to be experienced in a space in in a live performance space and then having to your your entire currency is the digital representation or documentation of it absolutely i mean we have to learn how to do that better in general as composers i think but also you know i'm hoping that the interactive website was something that was i i think i had that exact conversation with someone else before Mm -hmm. about like putting up doing an interactive website to make a piece that isn't is undocumentable yeah uh because of spatial qualities or because of time you know that i mean kind of bjork did that with the uh, biophilia record Mm. you know with the app she made that was another way to experience it that was completely not just listening to the to the album but I'm sure. I mean, I don't know if she actually made the app herself, though. I'm sure she. Oh no, of course not. Yeah. So like, that's the thing is, we have to make the app, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's, and that's that's why all that's why we're all like, oh, this is such a great idea. Oh shit, I have to learn all these. Nope. Maybe I'll get happening. a grant for ten thousand dollars and pay somebody else to make exactly. it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, honestly, yeah, I'm just so excited it's going to be done again. And I hope that some yeah, festival man. organizers are there, which I think they will be, um, and that I can talk with them and that other people will be interested in putting it on. Uh, that's basically yeah, – and then in that case, that's actually better than an interactive website if I just get it put on more times uh, because I get to collaborate with more people. Um, I get to get more that's feedback the goal, from man. audiences. Yeah, so I, I think – um, I'm just so excited to have a good presentation of my work. Yeah, I think that's really, yeah, yeah. it is the goal. You're right. So we're going to listen to the trombone quartet. And who are, who is playing this one? So you are going to hear Jose Garcia, Ross Schoen, Michelle Flowers, and Mary Mixter playing trombone.
the last question that I always ask to all the composers who, or all the artists that are on this. Um, how did you come to music as something that you wanted to pursue for your life? Well, I first uh, got interested in music from my father. So my dad was a guitar player, and uh, for a job, he was a chemical engineer. He designed oil refineries. Yeah. Smart guy. And uh, he really loved music. He was thinking about a career in music whenever he had to choose his career, and ultimately he chose engineering. Um, and so he always had music around the house, had guitars around the house, and... Um, when I was, I think, I think seven years old, he had this, uh, the same, like the Jimi Hendrix at Woodstock, uh, white, uh, like eggshell white, uh, Fender Stratocaster. Oh, yeah. And I was, I uh -huh. was kind of like plucking on the strings, like just making sounds with it. And my dad came by and he saw me strumming on it and he said, Hey Chaz, if you take guitar lessons for a year, I'll give you that guitar. And I looked at him Ooh. and I was like, no, thanks. Just walked away. Oh, come on. Totally not interested. Uh, so, but time went by and uh, I started taking CDs out of my dad's CD collection and listening to them. So, like Eric Clapton, Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix. It's really my first entry into music. And um, let's see, in my freshman year of college, I didn't know what I wanted to, uh, to major in. It was either going to be uh, architecture, music, uh, and jazz guitar is what I was thinking at the time, not composition, uh -huh. jazz guitar, um, which right. did not go well. And, uh, <laughs> let's see, uh, cause studying jazz guitar at UNT is not joking around, man. Not joking. No, around. that that's legit. Yes. It was a one hour course was the intro to jazz guitar and it required about four hours of practice a day. So, um, yeah. And then uh, interior design. I, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And basically, whenever I took the intro to composition class, uh, so this is the class that Joe Klein teaches at UNT, who was my doctoral uh -huh. advisor. Um, this class goes over all of the 20th century repertoire, goes into compositional techniques. And I can't remember um, if there was a specific piece, but just listening to the works of... Uh, 20th century classical music just blew my world apart. I had never heard anything like that before. Um, I remember that I just, some things I hated, like I hated the Berg Violin Concerto. I just thought it was awful <laughs> garbage. I just railed against it, but I'd never heard anything like it before in my life. And now, of course, it's Do it's you an love it now? It's as, an as per your, you it's know, a lovely piece. live with your ghost? I don't know what my deal was. I think I had like, I was at like two in the morning trying to finish my journals or something, but <laughs> um, so that was really like, that was really a life changing, uh, course to me. And it, uh, inspired me to study composition seriously. And it was really interesting cause I went to North Texas for my undergrad, um, where, you know, Joe Klein first was my first teacher that introduced these things to me. Then I went off to CalArts right. and then Joe Klein was my doctoral advisor, my dissertation advisor. So it's this really cool uh -huh. full circle experience of being an undergrad there and then being a doctoral student and teaching there as a TA and everything. So, um, yeah, man. Yeah, I can thank I can thank Joe Klein and UNT for for getting me into being a composer. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Did you ever get the guitar? Yeah, I got it right now. I could get it out. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't like that's it very awesome. much actually, but I'm I'm kind of a guitar snob now, so you know. Yeah. Yeah. Fender is is it is it that or is it Fender? 
Oh no, I like Fender stuff. I like their amps a lot, but it's the the feel of the frets is it's kind of it just mm. feels kind of cheap as opposed to like a nice uh, jazz guitar has a really great great action. Um, but actually, right. one one thing that I haven't talked about that I want to since I brought up you brought up my like origin story kind of thing is I didn't learn how to read yeah. music until I was seventeen. So I don't know how common uh-huh. that is uh, these days. I think it's common more and more for people with my background. Uh, um, I didn't. I didn't learn how to read music until I was sixteen. Yeah. Okay. So exactly. I'm glad to hear that. You know. Yeah. Because, because I. I kind of. I kind of came. A pretty similar story, actually. I mean, I, and people have heard it, but basically, I just. I guitar was my first instrument yeah. too, and uh, joined joined the um, joined the band at high school to play jazz guitar in the jazz band. Yeah. And thus, you had to join the sit the sit down band as well. So, that's that's where the all the musical training came from was that and then piano lessons and, and stuff like that. But, but yeah, uh, I, I was a really late, late bloomer as well for guitar, but then what, and it sounds like for you as well, like once it started, it was like, you just went. Yeah, it absolutely. Was, it was full speed ahead. Absolutely. And yeah, I've, I still keep up as a guitar player. I really like playing contemporary music, even some kind of new complexity works. I really like, uh, studying yeah. if i have the time yeah yeah so uh so i still play i still play i wish i still played i don't i just it's just a good I mean, way to blow I off st- steam I, I still play I, I still play guitar for like my kids and stuff but i mean uh i meant percussion because that was my that was my main instrument but no time to play anymore can't keep the chops up well the diddles and piddles when you have friends like nico kook my good uh belgian guitarist buddy uh, you you say you play guitar, but I hesitate to call myself a uh, a new music guitarist or anything like that, <laughs> because people like Nico exist. We had who just crush yeah, it. And, yeah, and that that's a nice callback to the the first episode we did in this this latest run with uh, Trampty. Oh yeah, Trampty had uh, a piece a piece with Nico playing a couple pieces with Nico playing. I think yeah, they've collaborated together uh, a decent amount. I'm really happy about that. They're two of my favorite people. Yeah, man. So. Zanza Dan the Trampty Man, he's an he's an awesome person. Because he and I went to undergrad together. That's right. Like, yeah, that's right. I think he I and I have talking about that. such a similar story. It's crazy. <clears throat> anyway, so uh, before we go, we should get your all your online stuff. So your website is. My website is chazunderreiner.com, which I know you don't know how to spell that, so it's C-H-A-Z-U-N-D-E-R-R-I-N-E-R.com. If you look up C-H-A-Z and then U and a couple other letters, you might get my name, so that's probably the best way. I think just Chaz Composer would be enough. Uh, you know, that's... Are there other I wonder, Chazes? I wonder. I, I'm just going to look up Chaz Composer right now. I know that the the feed is uh, skewed because of my like my metadata or whatever. Okay, so there's Chaz Jenkel, who is an English singer, what? songwriter, arranger, multi-instrumentalist, and producer. Chaz Hart, who's a guitarist. Chaz Koshi. Chaz Ebert. And then, okay, I come up. I'm on the first page. Whoa. There's I a stand guy named, corrected, though. There's a guy named Chaz Smith, who's an L.A.-based composer who has releases on Cold Blue Music, on Cold Blue, Blue Label. That's pretty awesome. Huh. I stand corrected. There are way more Chaz composers out there. Yeah, Chaz Jankel. There you go. Look him up. 
<laughs> yeah, so chazunderreiner.com, soundcloud.com uh, slash chazunderreiner. Those are probably the best ways to check out my stuff. Are you on Twitter? Nope. No desire. Well, no desire. Yeah. I know it's, I'm it's sure it's great. Everyone. I'm sure it's great. <laughs> not for everyone, but it's okay. I love I mean, I'll post spouting out, spouting know, out my but... social media handles. Just like, nope, nope. Uh, I also, on Facebook, nope. I do have like my Facebook account is not like a, you know, a private account. It's like my, uh, it's a public account. So you can friend me on Facebook or follow me. Check out what I'm doing. Look up some cat videos and stuff. It'll be great. Oh, yeah. I love a good cat video. Mm. Mm -hmm. All right, man. Thanks so much for doing this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Had a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com. <laughs>